Welcome to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman. I'm a practicing physician, a CMIO, and the host of CMIO Podcast. And today I'm bringing us Patty Padmahabhan who is a consultant in the healthcare IT space and a real expert on what we're calling the digital front door. He is a podcaster and an author. He has a book and a podcast, both by the name of The Big Unlock, which I have started listening to his podcast, and I highly recommend it. And, well, Patty, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's very kind of you. Very kind introduction, Mark, and I appreciate the mention of the book as well. Looking forward to this. Patty, if you would, I think it would help us to understand better about what you do as a consultant. Who do you work with and what kind of things are you bringing to the table? That'll probably set the the scene here pretty well. Happy to do that. So I run a digital transformation advisory firm called Demo Consulting. We're based in Chicago, which is where I live. We have been around since 2014. I started this company in 2014. Prior to that, I was in a couple of uh, analytic startups. And uh, and then prior to that, I worked uh, for long years in uh, global consulting firms. And my last corporate job was with Accenture. Anyway, 2014 on, we've been working very closely with healthcare enterprises, mostly health systems, and uh, also selectively with a number of technology firms who are all in the healthcare digital transformation space. So our work primarily is with health systems that are trying to navigate their digital transformation journey. And as you can imagine, it's a multi-year process. It's a multi-faced approach. It's multifaceted in the scope and scale of what needs to happen for an organization to go through digital transformation. And as you can well imagine, in the last three or four months, It's all changed, and in many cases, it's accelerated. And uh, what we are seeing is that the kind of work that we do is very relevant and pertinent to healthcare organizations that are trying to accelerate their virtual care transformation journeys. And that includes digital front doors, telehealth, but also the underlying technology infrastructure, the culture change, a lot of the process issues related to really enabling an organization to uh, not just seize the opportunity, but really to respond to where the market is headed. And that's the work we do. I wanted to bring on an expert in this field because, number one, I certainly am not it. And number two, so I want to learn. And I know my colleagues need to know about this stuff, too. And I think some of my colleagues right now are going digital front door. That's that's the website, right? That's the webpage. This is marketing, maybe a chief digital officer if you're in a large enough system to have one of those, or the chief marketing officer deals with this. But I think CMIOs have an obligation to help their colleagues bring volume into the system if they're on that fee-for-service model. And I think as we saw during COVID, doctors are not happy when the volume dries up instantly. They don't like that. Yeah. And so being able to connect to patients, being able to get these tools adopted. If a CIO and a, a chief digital officer have this wonderful plan, this great digital plan, but you go to the providers and say online scheduling and they put their fists up, that is something that where I think the CMIO can help ease the pain and the emotional response where 
we're good at that. That's what we do for a living. And then I think there's also some tools that we may talk about, like chatbots that can be part of this digital front door that, well, they have some clinical stuff in them if you're doing triage, and mm-hmm. that's where CMIO might play a role. This digital front door is kind of a buzzword, I think, at this point. What does it mean? Is it the website? Is it more than that? Help us understand digital front door. The best way to understand this is to put yourself in the shoes of a healthcare consumer or a patient, uh, whatever you want to whatever term you want to use. Increasingly, people are using the term consumer. Mm -hmm. So if you put yourself in the shoes of a consumer and walk in her footsteps and look at all the touch points in a typical consumer journey from the point they feel like they need to have access to care to the point that they actually access the care and and are set up for treatment, all of that constitutes at a very broad level digital front door experiences. So a lot of it is to do with access to care. If I were to break it down into very simple steps, you would call it a pre-visit, a visit experience, and a post-visit experience. There are a lot of stuff that goes on before a consumer becomes a patient is to do with getting an understanding of what kind of symptom he or she wants to understand more about. So you mentioned symptom triaging. So there are tools out there. There are online tools that allow you to self-triage to some degree. And then you decide that you want treatment or you want to at least see a doctor. And what you want to do then is to figure out who would be the right kind of a doctor for you based on what the triaging tool tells you or based on what you think you need, which means you need to have the ability to go online and look at, uh, let's say, a provider directory as an example. And then you have to be able to schedule something online. We're talking about online patient journeys, patient experiences. All of this happens before an individual comes in real-time contact with a physician. So you enable this by providing your consumers with a lot of tools that will help them make decisions about whether they need care, who they need care from, and how do they go about setting up an appointment, where to get the appointment, do they want to do it virtually through a video consult, do they feel like they need to come in, who decides for them, how do the online education tools help them figure out what they need. A lot of this is really helping patients and consumers help themselves. This entire continuum of touch points is what constitutes a digital front door, and this is very broadly speaking. Now, that term has been around for a couple of years now, and uh, it can cause a little bit of confusion because many people equate it with marketing, like you said. But marketing is one aspect of it, and the way I draw the distinction is marketing is about acquiring new consumers, new patients for the most part, but that definition could definitely bleed over into maybe selling new healthcare services to existing patients as well. But then there is a lot more to digital front doors. It's really about a multi-channel means of communication with patients, providing them with a lot of online tools and self-service tools, and essentially converting in-person or offline patient experiences into online experiences. So that's a very, very broad kind of a definition. And if you start analyzing the different 
touch points in a patient journey that are potentially candidates for digital experiences or online experiences. You, you will come across dozens and dozens of these touch points, many of which are already being implemented in health systems today in their efforts to convert as much as possible of their in-person patient relationships into online experiences at least from the standpoint of low acuity, primary care, and so on and so forth. The inpatient experience for acute care is a whole different matter. That's not what we're really talking about here. When we talk about that, we talk about an entirely different set of tools, technologies, and modalities. I'll pause there because I covered a lot of ground there, but that's at a very high level what I look at, what I think about when I talk about digital front door experiences. There are so many different directions I could take this in right now, and yeah. I just love this. But, okay, so hospitals on Epic, we have MyChart, we have a portal. Is it more than a portal? Help us understand. Get, let's take it down a level. Let's get yeah. talk about a few of the tools. What do you think? So if you look at it, it's interesting you ask this question. Uh, we actually just completed an engagement with one of our clients, uh, a health system that wanted to really understand what the high priority needs are within it. So we did an internal survey and we identified uh, a number of digital engagement touch points and we prioritized them based on what the survey responded. About 150 people responded to the survey across all functions. So it was not a small sample. It's fairly representative. We matched it up with our own experience in the marketplace and our work with other clients and also a lot of ongoing research that we do. If you really look at it today, in the immediate aftermath of COVID-19, what you're really looking at is having the ability to do virtual consults. So that's table stakes now. You have to have the ability because you don't really want a lot of people walking into the hospital or the clinic or any kind of ambulatory facility unless they really, really have to. So that becomes a high priority area. So call that a digital front door. And then you have to think about how you're going to train your clinicians, caregivers, how you set up the infrastructure, how you integrate your tool of choice for virtual consoles to MyChart or, or the Epic backend system so you can capture the encounter and you know, bill for it appropriately and so on. So that's one aspect of it. Then the, from the patient standpoint, there are other things. The patient wants to know, hey, I have a cough. I am having difficulty breathing. Am I infected with coronavirus or is it something else? What do I need to do? Well, here's an online tool. You go in and you type in your symptoms and it comes back and tells you, well, chances are you do have COVID-19. You should probably come right in or it may tell you that you've got some other, it may be something else and then it maybe directs you to a, a scheduling tool where you can go in and schedule. And then when you start scheduling, you've got to put in your copay. So you want a payment tool, right, online. So you want to be able to make your uh, copay payment using an online payment facility. And if you have a more serious condition for which you have to come in, but you have to pay your deductible and it happens to be a significant dollar amount, you may want a payment plan. So you want to have the ability to sign up for a payment plan and pay the first installment now so you can come in and take your treatment and pay the remaining installments over the next three or four quarters, as the case may be. Now, I've just described three or four digital touch points right there in terms of your digital front doors. This is how you drill it down when you really start talking about individual touch points and individual experience aspects of patient journeys in today's context. It might help us to understand who does it really well, either someone you've worked with or just someone, a system out there that you think has really done this in a fashion that others should emulate. 
there's a lot of health systems that have made great progress with digital front door experiences. And when I look, my firm uh, tracks the top 30 health systems in the country, you know, top 30 in terms of, you know, broadly speaking, revenue, number of beds, number of employees, as the case may be. We find that almost all of them have invested in some kind of a digital health program where in many cases they've even hired or appointed full-time chief digital officers. And I'll come to the organizational model aspect of it because it's an important part of getting this right and becoming successful with it. But really, if you look at it, you've got all the online experiences that are patient-facing, if you will. Now, prior to COVID-19, maybe a year or two ago, a lot of this was being done by the chief patient experience officer, who really was the advocate for patient needs within the health system. And then the chief patient experience officer would design the experiences and try to convert as many of these experiences to online experiences as possible. There's a number of health systems that I can think of that have done uh, really well with this. A couple that come to my mind uh, are Providence Health out in uh, Seattle, Sutter Health out in uh, California, Kaiser, a number of others. Again, some have focused on one aspect uh, of digital front doors and telehealth experiences more than others. Intermountain, for instance, has got a great telehealth program and they've kind of uh, used it to uh, reach out to rural areas in a very, very effective way. And it's all very well documented as well. And then there are other clients that we work with. There are other health systems that are deep in the journey right now. Geisinger Health in Pennsylvania comes to mind. I can go on. We've done a lot of work with Cleveland Clinic. They've done some really interesting things. Uh, and through my podcast, you men- which you mentioned, I've talked to a number of uh, CIOs and chief digital officers and other health systems who've made great progress. Some of the New York City hospitals have done done some great work in uh, really converting offline patient experiences to online experiences. Again, I'm not trying to call out just a handful. I, there's many more that have done excellent work. These are just the ones that come to my mind right now. If you really want to dig into where the best uh, practices are. Now that's great stuff. That At least it gives us a place to check it out and kind of if you happen to live in one of those markets, you probably are aware of the digital offerings of some of these places. I interviewed a CMIO out in Seattle just around uh, the COVID outbreak there, and he described to me how they stood up a chatbot feature very quickly because they had to. They, they had to handle the volume of calls coming in, and they needed to decrease the in-person and on-the-phone stuff and move it online. Right. And so I think COVID has accelerated this field by leaps and bounds in a matter of a few weeks to months. So help me understand, is this an offensive strategy or a defensive strategy? Do you promote digital because you want to keep uh, the Cleveland Clinic or whoever out of your back door? Or are you doing this to steal market share from your competitor? How does that work? I would say it's an offensive defensive strategy. It's both. Uh, If you don't have a telehealth capability today, if you don't have digital front door capabilities today, you are putting yourself at a competitive disadvantage with regards to your marketplace if you're in a highly competitive market where your peers have already invested in it and have already taken a lead on you. So in that sense, it is a, it's table stakes. So call it a defensive strategy, if you will. If you don't have it, your long-term viability is called into question. It could be an offensive strategy if you're at the other end of the spectrum where you've already t- taken a lead 
and you set up all these capabilities and you have the infrastructure, you have a program where you've been steadily acquiring new patients through online means and converting offline relationships to online relationships and you've already moved the needle, you find that you're, let's say, there are indicators that tell you whether you're ahead or not. An example of that would be, what is your engagement level through MyChart? How many of your patients are actually using the MyChart tool to schedule their appointments or to communicate with their uh, physicians? And you can track this over time. And then if you find that you're doing well relative to your benchmark, then what you're really doing is using that as an offensive strategy to increase your presence, potentially even increase your market share by taking away patients from other health systems who are not as evolved, right? But if you don't have it, then that you've got to catch up. And so you start investing in the capability. We've actually worked with one health system which uh, had to virtually overnight set up a virtual constant capability. Uh, and this was in the, in the wake of COVID-19. Now, prior to that, they were making some investments, but it wasn't as much as maybe some of their peers in their marketplace. And then COVID-19 comes along and literally overnight, they had to implement a virtual, real-time virtual console platform. Now you do that, and then now you have to kind of retrofit everything else in, right? How do you integrate it with Epic? How do you make sure the encounters are being captured? How do you make sure the doctors that are not using your tool but are using Zoom or Skype or GoToMeeting or WebEx or whatever it is, Doximity and so on and so forth? How do you make sure all of those encounters are being captured so you're, first of all, keeping track of how much time and how many visits are happening, but importantly, you're also getting paid for it, right? And then you go to the next step, which is integrate all of this into seamless experiences for patients. Look, Mark, you and I, are we live in a world where we are used to Amazon and Apple-like experiences. We take it for granted, right? The kind of user experience, the ease of use, the intuitive look and feel of an Apple interface and so on. Healthcare is a long way, long way away from, from any of that. But those that are making progress and creating those intuitive experiences are going to find that more and more consumers are going to be attracted to these modalities. And over time, it is going to create a big gap. Now, that is from the point of view of the health systems. There's a lot of other issues underlying that that need to be addressed as well, because not everyone is as digitally enabled, equally enabled. There are digital differences, the digital divide that we talk about from, from the point of view of healthcare consumers. That's a whole separate topic. But all other things remaining the same, if you're not ahead of the curve in terms of investing in these digital experiences, you really are putting yourself at a strategic risk for the longer term. That's really what it means. You wrote an article probably a little over a year ago, I'm guessing. It's in, in CIO.com. It's Digital Front Doors, the New Battleground for the Healthcare Consumer's Attention. Right. And it sounds like it's not just the healthcare system next door we're competing against, but there are other entrants into the marketplace that we need to be thinking about. How big of a threat is Walmart? How big of a threat is CVS, Aetna, or Teladoc, who has their own medical group yeah. to to the, our primary care offerings in our health systems? What do you think? Yeah, they're all they're all valid. I mean, what I wrote a year ago, many many of those themes continue to be valid today, and CVS, Aetna, obviously, uh, behemoth in the world of healthcare today. Uh, they have the brick and mortar infrastructure, the mini clinics and so on and so forth. 
uh, Walmart, same thing. And they just recently announced that they're going to be getting deeper into delivering care in their stores and upgrading their capabilities. We know about Teladoc and Amwell and those companies that have their own uh, networks. Uh, again, it's an interesting one because Teladoc is also a provider of the underlying technology for health systems that want to turn on this telehealth capability. So if you're a health system and you, you want to you use a Teladoc platform, you are in one sense their partner, but in another sense, you could be a competitor too. And those constructs are going to become increasingly common in the market. Uh, there have been news items regarding the experiments that companies like even Apple and Amazon are doing with primary care, setting up clinics in their own, in their campuses for their own employees to start with. And of course, Amazon did this joint venture with uh, Berkshire Hathaway and, and JP Morgan, which uh, Haven Health. So there's a lot of new constructs that are going to emerge. And I think COVID-19 may have accelerated the shift towards some of them. It's a little early to tell. But if I were to place a bet, I would say that new modalities, which are very digitally enabled, which are uh, online experience focused, are going to increasingly become the norm in the competitive marketplace. Does that mean that health systems are going to lose their relevance? Absolutely not. Uh, I think there are some very, very fundamental attributes of health systems that can never be replicated by a new entrant. Health systems, for the most part, they enjoy a certain brand recognition and a certain trust within their local marketplace. A Cleveland Clinic or a Geisinger or any of these other well-known health systems, it's impossible to replicate the kind of trust that they have with their patient community. But for a lot of care, low-acuity care kind of needs, Patients may simply choose convenience over having to make a one-hour drive to go to the nearest clinic, as an example. So I think we are going to see parts of healthcare, uh, starting with the ambulatory side of things, that could become much bigger of a battleground than other aspects, especially acute care and so on. What I was trying to say in that article, if I remember it correctly, and I think some of those trends have been accelerated in the wake of COVID-19. And we talk about that in our upcoming book. Ed Marks, uh, the former CIO of Cleveland Clinic, he and I have co-authored a book which is titled Healthcare Digital Transformation, How Consumerism, Technology, and Pandemic are Accelerating the Future. And it's due for release in early August. And we go into a lot of this in the book and happy to talk more about it. But this is definitely a very, very interesting time for healthcare, health systems have to kind of reimagine and sort of reposition themselves in the context of a digitally enabled virtual care kind of a normal that's upon us, whether we like it or not. So let's go one step beyond the initial uh, hook where you're captured with a digital tool and you've had that great, wonderful interaction to the ongoing relationship. Now, I'm going to call myself out here. I'm a primary care doctor, and I think about you as my patient when you are directly in front of me or if I get the ADT message that you hit the emergency department. But outside of that, not so much. And there are apps out there that could generate all kinds of data that will overwhelm me. As a primary care doctor, I'm already going, what? You're going to be sending me every footstep you take, every glucose you check, every blood pressure reading you have. This is overwhelming to me. I'm not quite there yet ready to engage. 
What does a CMIO do to help promote that digital interaction that needs to happen now in between visits, that we care about people more than when they're just in front of us? Yeah, I think you touched upon the third big trend that we're going to see accelerating. So the first one is telehealth virtual consult. That is upon us. And so that one is not going away. The second one is all the digital front doors that we talked about, all these tools that enable online experiences for patients for everything from symptom triaging to making payments for their copay and deductibles and so on. The third part of it is remote care, right? And where I see the role of data and analytics evolving right now is exactly what you talked about, which is what do we do in between? What about the chronic care patient with multiple comorbidities who has to remain at home for whatever reason? And we have to have a way to take care of this individual and in a post-COVID era, we really don't want this individual making the trip to the hospital, but we cannot afford to ignore this individual's needs. Uh, is diabetic, got hypertension, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. How do we take care of them? Now, you don't. To your point, you could attach a number of sensors and devices to them and their immediate surroundings and start following all the data that is thrown off by these devices. And it's all great information. And then you manage by exception, right? You can't be looking at everybody all the time. And so you have to have intelligent information systems, informatics, and this is your world, Mark, where you, as long as the patient is within a threshold, you don't really worry. The moment the patient hits a certain threshold for anything, then you get into an intervention of some kind, or at the very least, take a look and say, what is going on here? We saw a spike in the glucose reading or spike in blood pressure, or someone had a fall and something went off in their home, etc., etc. I think that's where we're headed. I think remote monitoring is going to increasingly become the norm for managing chronic conditions. And again, you reduce hospital visits, but you also reduce avoidable uh, readmissions, right? And so data analytics in this context is going to have a huge, huge role to play. You, you live in this world, Mark, so you probably know this a lot more than I do. So I'd be curious to hear your thoughts as well. As a primary care doctor, I want to be excited about that data. I love the thought that there will be artificial intelligence that will say, this is when you need to engage. And hey, we could even suggest for you, not just be predictive, but prescriptive. This might be an alternative you might want to consider in this situation and uh, even engage with others, the care manager, to go out and help me manage a population bigger than just the 25 people I'm going to see in the office today. That's very appealing to me. Getting there is scary. I think getting all that data coming in and then am I legally responsible for that patient that has hypoglycemia and that that data came across, but I didn't get to see it yet. Those kinds of things are where doctors are putting up resistance to this digital world, and we do need to get over it. We, yeah. This is a new world. Yeah, though me medical legal issues, yeah, I mean, th that's certainly, uh, again, with every such change, every such new way of doing things, you're going to have to address some of those 
the compliance or legal aspects of it as well. And I, I understand what you're saying. Uh, again, from the point of view of population health management, I imagine you're already doing what a lot of your peers, CMIOs, are doing, which is finding a way to aggregate all of this data, combine it with the data that is in the electronic health record system, and combine it with maybe other data sources, demographic data, social determinants, et cetera, et cetera, and try to make sense of it and uh, apply advanced analytics on the data, try to stratify your population for risk, and then figure out how you keep the riskiest patients uh, safe, out of the hospital, avoid readmissions, and focus your energies on them while making sure that the rest of them don't deteriorate, right? I think we're pretty lousy at it. Uh, not to, <laughs> as a country, I think we are relatively, we sit on a mountain of data that we don't use very effectively. I want to talk to you a little bit about the data about the digital front door, because the marketing team has that CRM. And they know that Mrs. Jones likes to be called at 6 p.m. on Tuesdays because that's when she's not doing whatever it is that she does during the day. So that's when we should reach out. Me as the doctor, I don't know that. And so I call during normal business hours because that's when I'm working. And I don't have the insights. When do we get there as health systems that we start to take these data repositories and bring them together so that we have insights. Yeah, yeah, we are we are doing a very interesting project right now with with a large health system where we are redesigning the entire portal front end experience and one aspect of this highly complex project is managing communication preferences, right? And tying them to other tools such as scheduling, right? So you as a primary care physician you may have certain windows during the day when you are available to do, let's say, remote visits, as an example, right? virtual care, uh, telehealth visits. Now, those windows may not line up necessarily with Mrs. Jones's availability windows. Right? Mrs. Jones has indicated her communication preferences and you've gathered, it's interesting, this, just this morning, and I got a text from my health insurer, Blue Cross Blue Shield, and they said, hey, would you like to be, would you like to sign up for our program where you get all messages only through text or through the web? And I said, yeah, sure, sign me up. And then they went through the communication preferences. Well, would you like to receive all your uh, statements only via email? Or do you still want to get them in paper? No, I want them all by email. Would you like to get notifications about health tips and uh, health coaching and so on via text or email? Yeah, I'd like it by text. So I go through a bunch of those. Right? Similarly, you can do that with all your patients. And then there are, of course, some compliance and regulatory aspects involved. But all things considered, if you set up your communication preferences and set them up in your CRM system, then you have a way to map it and match it with your scheduling tools, right? And any other rules that you may apply on the scheduling algorithm to make sure that Dr. Wiseman is not available at 6 p.m., but Dr. Smith somewhere else is available and you could intelligently route the consult to Dr. Smith or maybe even use it as a tool to improve utilization by identifying gaps. And let's say Dr. Wiseman is available today and there is a patient who is trying to get through and okay, let's go ahead and do the matching. And the, all of this is managed through an intelligent combination of various tools that create the seamless front-end experience. So it, it all sounds 
and looks very kludgy under the surface. But if it can be orchestrated well, then it can create a delightful experience for Mrs. Jones, which is ultimately what you want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about your book, which comes out in August, and I'll just make sure I cover the title here, Healthcare Digital Transformation, How Consumerism, Technology, and Pandemic Are Accelerating the Future. There's a chapter in there, Ensuring Strong Foundations. I always like this podcast to be tactical. I like my colleagues and I to walk away with like, hey, here's the three things you should be doing right now. So in terms of a foundation, what should we as CMIOs be advocating for right now? What What's important? Well, from a CMIO standpoint, I think uh, clearly you want to make sure you have a really, really strong and robust uh, data management infrastructure. Right? So you're you're awash in data. It's mm-hmm. you've got the patient medical record, which is in your EHR system, but the patient could be getting care from outside of your network, and so you want to make sure that you have access to all of that. Hopefully, the final interoperability ruling, which goes into effect in 2021, will take care of all of that. And you have all of the records being made available to you through the patient, through the interoperability ruling. I won't go there. That's a whole separate topic. But you've got a lot of other data that you can potentially use. You've got data about the demographics of the patient. And so what we call the social determinants of health. And you take all of that data, you've got all the claim data, if you can have a collaborative relationship with your health insurer. And then you take all of this and then you have patient-generated data as well. The patient's wearing a Fitbit or, in, as in my case, an Apple Watch. I've got all of this data. I want to be able to share it with you to tell you how many minutes a day I'm exercising right? and so on and so forth. How, how much did I run, walk, bike, swim? And all of that uh, potentially can be integrated to create a 360 view of the patient which on which you then apply intelligence through your algorithms and your analytical tools and really make very targeted decisions about clinical interventions or any other kind of healthcare intervention that you think is in the patient's best interest. So that's really where, uh, that's really what I mean by laying strong foundation. Because if you don't have the data management infrastructure, you really cannot get that complete view of the patient that you're looking for. And I'm not suggesting it's easy. It is very, it is very hard. And it is an ongoing journey because your data sources are increasing. You're going to get more and more unstructured data going forward. You're going to get a lot of voice data. You're going to, now you've got all this genomics data that's coming to you. You've got to take care of all the compliance aspects of it before you start using it along with your patient medical record. You've got all kinds of patient-generated data that is going to be coming to you. And how do you make sense of all that? What do you decide is going to be important? What is not? How good is the data? And how much of it needs to be cleaned up? Uh, How do you really do the matching between what the patient sends or what you get from a third-party source with what you have as your patient record? Uh, Then the infrastructure itself, uh, where are you going to host it? Are you going to create an environment within your own data center or within your own organization? Are you going to sign up with a cloud provider like a Google or a Microsoft or somebody and replicate all the data over there and take advantage of their advanced cloud service capabilities and the scalability and so on, and also their advanced algorithms. There's a lot of options, but having that foundation is really what uh, uh, sets you up to be successful with this analytics program as a CMIO. And then making all these insights available at the point of care 
in a real-time fashion. That's, of course, the last mile, which, again, is a challenge in and of itself. So I want to let you out of here because I've already kept us over what I said I would keep you. But I want to get your vision of the future, and I'll tee it up this way. I've been a consumer of healthcare recently. My wife has become pretty seriously ill, and in my opinion, healthcare stinks. And I'm an insider, and I know how to work the system. And she recently had to go for a CAT scan, and 24 hours before she sets it up, she cancels what she had to plan for that day, she gets transportation arranged, and then well, a couple of hours before the appointment, she gets a phone call that says, we're canceling, your prior authorization was done wrong, they have the wrong address on it, and we're gonna have to reschedule. So that's not very digital or very friendly, and it felt like the digital front door was slammed in our face. So give us the future, tell us it's gonna be better. Make me happy here. Well, firstly, I'm sorry to hear about your wife's illness, and I hope she gets better. Well, I think if if I had to sum it all up in one word as far as the future of healthcare is concerned, that word would be transparency. Transparency in costs, transparency in the types of care, the quality of care, with every aspect of care. Transparency in how uh, you know how soon they're going to get back to you. How long uh, how long is the treatment going to take? Who's going to be attending to you? what to expect when you go in, everything, the cost. One of the biggest issues is cost. What you're you're describing is one part of the overall problem, but you talked about prior prior auth and so on and so forth. There is a huge issue around transparency with costs today in healthcare. And the good news is that many health systems are willingly and voluntarily setting up cost transparency and pricing estimation tools as part of digital front door programs, right? So you could conceivably, if your health system is not already there at some point in the foreseeable future, you're gonna be one of the many health systems out there that makes tools available online. So if I have a condition and that I, I need to go in for a treatment or an elective surgery, let's just take elective surgery and hip replacement, uh, I can go in and actually look at what the cost of the hip replacement is going to be, how much of it is covered by insurance, how much of it is going to be my out-of-pocket, do I have a payment plan for it, how does the hip replacement at Hospital X down the road compare with Hospital Y, which may be 20 miles away for me. All of that uh, is going to be made available. It is already increasingly available. And I think over time, the transparency with with regards to other aspects of care as well is going to increase. And that to me is possibly the best thing that can happen. Because once that happens, then become informed consumers. And as informed consumers, we can drive change. And I think everybody, the rising tide will lift all boats, as they say. All right, I feel a little better about the future. I think it's... <laughs> thank you. So but I would do want to thank you, Patty. This has been a great conversation, very insightful for myself as well as my CMIO colleagues. If they wanted to get in contact with you to learn more about the digital front door and transformation, what's the best way to get in contact? Just reach out to me, patty at democonsulting.net, or you can go on my website, uh, you know, find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, 
Google me. Perfect. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm more than happy to to speak with your colleagues. But Mark, I I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to come on uh, your podcast and talk about this. This has been very thoughtful and uh, thought provoking for me as well. So I thank you for that. Fantastic. And I think it's been a great show. So thank you for joining us today on CMIO Podcast. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn, send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from, or just to connect. And I look forward to bringing you our next episode.